0: We are here, we we we
1: are we are
0: Anishinaw Babes. Hail, hail, hail. Ani, welcome to Anishna
2: Babes. Welcome. Anishna Babes is a comedic platform for sharing Indigenous women's worldview on all aspects of their lives.
0: Our goal is to teach Indigenous women how to be nice to each other. Be nice. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, yeah, our goal is to um, empower each other, right? And to share with each other and teach each other and so that we can all heal together. Absolutely. And talking with like healing, I don't know if we are ever fully healed. We help each other even when we are going through our own tough times.
0: Absolutely. And what we just want to do is just have you know, regular community conversations. Some of our
2: topics in upcoming episodes will include empowerment, decolonizing
0: sex, Indigenous women entrepreneurs, self-love, grief and healing, sleep and dreaming, decolonizing sexuality through art, beadwork, cultural identity, and this is just to name a few.
2: Awesome. Awesome. Sounds like a really great lineup. So, you want to give us
0: a short intro of who you are? Yeah, for sure. Ani, Stephanie Ponglish, Minon, i Donjaba, odem and Toronto, My name is Stephanie Ponglish. I currently reside in Toronto, and I am from Wekwemkong and Skamak. Awesome. In
2: so my name is Liz, and I'm also known as Chance. Um, I'm an Ojibwe, Odawa, Potawatomi woman from Kong
0: Unceded Territory. And we want to welcome you to laugh with us, learn with us, heal with us. Heal! Heal!
2: <laughs> and we want to laugh along the way yeah and we're yeah. so happy that you're here to join us so check out today's podcast
1: ah!
0: On Babes, we welcome Dr. Kim TallBear, who is an Associate Professor, Faculty of Native Studies, University of Alberta, and Canada Research Chair in Indigenous Peoples, Technoscience and Environment. Dr. TallBear also studies the colonization of Indigenous sexuality. She co-produces with two other Indigenous women, the Edmonton-based Sexy Storytelling Show, confessions. She is a citizen of the Sistan Wapitan Oyate. She was raised on another Dakota reservation, that of the flandro Santee Sioux tribe, and is also in the twin cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. So, welcome Dr. Kim TallBear. One of the reasons, well, why we reach out to you is because you do such great work on a lot of um, talks around, you know, sexuality and sex and how we can move forward um, with doing that within our community. So that's one of the reasons why we asked you to come and join us. Um, Liz and I have talked about conversations that we've had or haven't had with our parents growing up. Oh yeah. And, uh, yeah and so we do have like a few questions that we wanted to ask. Okay. Um, but Before
2: we get into it though I just wanted to just give you a little backdrop on Anishinaababes. Okay, um, cool. So this is our second episode and the first one was really just an introduction of who we are, uh, why we wanted to start Anishinaababes and what um, kind of how we came up with the name and so a lot of it was you know just table talk and um, what are we missing in our personal lives what are we missing in our communities and um, what are some of the topics that need to be explored Um, just to help educate each other right and to educate ourselves too Um, Mm -hmm. and you know we've we've talked about how You know, colonialism, residential schools, 60 Scoop, like that all, you know, it's all part of our history. Um, But we want to move forward and we don't want to spend a lot of time with with that because we know our history. But we want to focus on empowerment and women empowering each other and women teaching each other, sharing with each other and really helping each other to heal. And, um, so that's really kind of the basis of Anishinaabes and, um, using humor, right? So laughing and joking and, you know, that it's, um, these are serious topics and some of them, you know, are taboo in our communities, but we can, we can laugh together. We can, you know, share with each other and it doesn't have to be so scary as long as we move through it together.
1: I like the podcast name too. (laughs)
2: <laughs> so every one of our uh, guest speakers is considered an Anish- Anishinaabe so you can add that to your resume <laughs>
0: wow. Ooh. wow okay that would be awesome later on, later on, we'll send you a gift bag and you can have an Anishinaabe t-shirt yeah <laughs> <laughs> that would be great yes yes for sure all right um, Liz, did you want to start or would you like me to start? Uh, let me see.
2: Oh, yes. Yeah. So some of our questions. Um, how old were you when you started analyzing monogamy?
1: Oh, well, I started engaging in uh, open non-monogamy in 2013. So let's see. That was how many years ago? Eight. Eight. And I'm 52. So I was 44. (laughs) I'm the worst mathematician in the world. Okay, I was 44. I was January 2013. I officially started but I think I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it at least a year ahead of time. And I don't remember if when I was still with my uh, co parent if I was because when I um, left my marriage sort of not all the way because we're still legally married um, but we just don't live together. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it works. Um, I didn't, wasn't thinking about non-monogamy then. I know that in 2012, that's not why I left, uh, or why I, you know, though I've written about that elsewhere, the whole structure of settler marriage, which I couldn't have put into words back then. I didn't realize that that's not him that was bothering me. It was the structure that was bothering me. He's a great friend and a good person. Um, so I think, you know, and I don't think I ever thought about it, As a a younger person, I will say in retrospect, I can look back to my early 20s now, and I realize that I have always had um, probably a talent for doing open non monogamy. I am not a terribly jealous person. I remember thinking I should be jealous and acting jealous at certain points, but it felt fake. Like I didn't feel like, why am I? I'm not really into this, but I must be a bad person if I'm not jealous, right? (laughs) and I also, before I had a serious relationship, this is the language I would have used in my early twenties. I remember I was seeing three people at one time, at one point when I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I remember thinking, gosh, I should feel bad about this. Why don't I feel bad about this? I must be an immoral person, but this really doesn't bother me. You know, I'm like totally fine juggling these three relationships and I don't know, like, and then I met somebody that I fell in love with. And then I thought, oh, now I'm supposed to be monogamous. So I was, but uh, I don't know if that's an answer to that question.
0: (laughs) No, that's a great answer. Um, I think I was probably um, probably about five, six years ago is when I started questioning it myself. Um, But sort of like you, I too wasn't that jealous because um, I remember my husband, like very good looking guy, tall, you know, um, a lot of women admired him, and men, and uh, I remember him going to the bar, and he came back and he was kind of like shook. Uh, I was like, what's wrong? <clears throat> and he goes, he goes, see that lady over there, he's like, she's trying to pick me up. He's like, she wants to buy me some drinks. I was like, "Oh yeah, I was like, order two, man. Make sure you should get to me one. <laughs> he was like, you're not jealous. I was like, why should I be jealous, man? I trust you. But um, yeah. yeah, after when I became single, um, when our marriage ended a couple of years ago, that's when I wanted to explore it a little bit more. You know, I want to question monogamy a little bit more and learn more about, you know, the historical factor behind it. And, you know, what did our Indigenous communities do before? Yeah. <clears throat> I've read some stories, but um, yeah, it's, it's just an interesting topic to explore.
1: I think a lot of the details of that history, too, are, have been left out, right? Like, we can look at the anthropological record, but you gotta always kind of take that with a grain of salt, right? Because the anthros had their own agenda, their own civilizing mm-hmm. agenda, right? Um, but there is stuff in the historical and anthropological record about well, you know, non-normative sexuality as settlers would think about it now, right? Like, so stuff that didn't fall in line with what their sense of ethics and morality were. And they were, of course, Christians really in the Americas. Um, but yeah, I think there's, uh, It. this is what I want to do in the next year when I'm writing my next book. I want to go dig through some of the, uh, archives and and look for um, what was being said about the way that Indigenous people related. Because I know I come from a non-monogamous people. Men had multiple wives. Um, there's uh, some evidence that divorce, as we would translate it in English, was flexible, that women could, and they weren't tied economically to the men, right? They had a different kinship network and a system of support for them and their children. So leaving a man would have been a lot less risky than it would be for a lot of women in marriages today. So I really, I do really want to investigate that. um, And not just take for granted, you know, what the anthros tell us or what the non native historians tell us about how our ancestors related. Excellent. Awesome.
0: Uh, I guess I will do the next question. So who, who was one of the main influence, influencers in your life that kind of helped you to get into this type of work that you do?
1: Uh, you mean the academic work broadly or writing about non-monogamy in particular?
0: I guess writing about non-monogamy
1: in particular. Mm. You know, I started my blog anonymously, The Critical Polyamorist in 2013, um, because I knew I wouldn't, I, if I was going to think seriously about it in a really focused way, I had to write about it because I don't have hobbies. I like everything becomes work to me because I love my work and it's, I don't know, I just get a lot of enjoyment out of analyzing and, and researching Um, But I don't remember, like, I I definitely remember going to polyamory meetups in 2013, when I started. Um, And there's and I was in Austin, Texas, there's a lot of non monogamous there, there's polyamorous, there's swingers, there's people in the kink community. It's very open. uh, And in the Bay Area, it was that way too. But when I lived in Berkeley and San Francisco, I was married monogamous, right. So I was aware of it in the background, but it wasn't something I was engaged in. And I'm trying to think if in that community, though, everybody was not everybody was white, but Austin, the poly, polyamory community was pretty white. There were some people of color, but a lot of the meetups people were talking about, yeah, it's so white. How do we diversify? And I just remember thinking pretty quickly, uh, this is better. You know, this is enabling me to question monogamy, but this is still kind of colonial. Mm-hmm. Um, It wasn't really challenging settler colonialism, what they were doing, their relationship norms and their family norms were not really still in line with I think indigenous family norms that are really stigmatized, but I don't stigmatize them. And so, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I read the books that everybody reads, but they're all written by non-native people, of course, mostly white people, middle or upper middle class people. So it's a class and race thing. And they were helpful in terms of the individual relationship dynamics, right? Like how to manage jealousy if you have that, how to talk to your, your metamors, your partners, other partners, you know, how to have good, healthy, open conversations, healthy, you know, in their terminology, Um but yeah, in terms of thinking about, I would say that sort of combining, um, thinking about non-monogamy with being critical of colonialism, uh, some of the writing that was helpful was some of the other indigenous academics. So, but it wasn't writing on polyamory. It was really more um, academic literature on indigenous sexualities. And that would be Kehaolani Kawanui, who uh, is Kanaka Maoli. She teaches at Wesleyan in Connecticut, and she writes on indigenous sexual sexualities in Hawaii in her in her work. And then there's some other Pacific study scholars as well who I need to read this year. But there wasn't a lot out there on being Indigenous and doing non-monogamy in a way that's um, articulating contemporary forms of non-monogamy with thinking about what, what did our ancestors do and how they related. There wasn't really anything out there.
2: So. Is there anything out there now?
1: Well, I mean, let's see. In a Uh, who else is writing on this besides me? I mean, again, you can go to the academics, you know, um, uh, which there's only a few, I would say there's not a lot of tackling non-monogamy in indigenous studies. I mean, this is one of my critiques, right? Like we, we take on blood quantum, we take on, uh, you know, heteronormativity, we take on, you know, all the other things we take on when we're being critical of colonialism, settler law and courts, how many critical Indigenous thinkers do you hear taking on the marriage industrial complex and non-monogamy? You know, you still see bunches of Native people, especially as we kind of aspire to be class mobile, having white weddings, (laughs) you know, being all over Facebook, trashing people for looking at somebody else or, you know, cheating. I hate that word, right? Like all this kind of monitoring people, right? Our partner's desires and, and trash talking people who are not like, you know, monogamous. And um, so yeah, I don't know that there's that much out there, really, I'd love to know about stuff. I do get emails and messages now from indigenous people who hear me speak and talk and podcasts or whatever, uh, who write me and say, I'd really like to do this or explore this. And I can't, you know, I'm, I'm married and I care about my marriage and I don't want to upset my family or my elders wouldn't approve, or I might get emails from young and they tend to be younger indigenous people. Right. Um, in their twenties and thirties, I would say who didn't kind of grow up under the sort of severe heterosexist monogamous world that I grew up in, in the seventies and eighties. I do think it's a little bit more open though, no, but you two could maybe tell me, um, who say I want to do this, but like, I worry about what my elders would think. And I have to say, if my great grandma were alive, who raised me there's no way I could have done the critical polyamorous. Op- there's no way it would have <laughs> broke her heart, Yeah, you know? And so I'm recognized now being the age I am, I, there's, I can get away with a lot more. Mm-hmm. So, and I make my own money, you know, I don't, I'm not reliant economically on somebody else. And my grandmothers are, I love them very much. And they're, they've both passed on. So, and my mom will just have to deal. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, your grandmas are special, right? Your grandmas are like, (laughs) you don't cross them. It's really hard to cross them. So (laughs) all they have to do is just look at you and you're like, oh yeah, no. (laughs) So I get what people say when they say what, you know, my elders, you know, I don't, and especially our elders too, like a lot, like my great grandmother was put in a Catholic boarding school, right? Like, and even though she she really was was indoctrinated into that way of thinking and that sort of purity culture about women what women had to be and you know people that have been indoctrinated that way they're not it's hard for them to get out of that especially when they're older, right and they're yeah, so for
0: sure I guess like um what. I guess the basis of this conversation though is just kind of having healthy conversations with one another right yeah yeah even with our children or nieces and nephews Mm -hmm. um when my daughter when my daughter was um starting to kind of explore her sexual identity um she kind of held back for um I'd say a year she's She's only 15 now, but um, what she did do was she came out on social media, letting her friends know that she was bisexual. And she said within the next year, she said um, other youth have come up to her and they were like, she was one of the first persons that, she, that they've come up to. And so she was able to kind of support them. <clears throat> and I feel like by but like the things, the things that I post on social media, I know it's like a little bit um, taboo sometimes um, when I talk about, you know, masturbation or, or yeah, yeah. multiple partners. Um, but I started messages just too.
1: Um, I love your posts. And I'm always like, oh, I can't believe she wrote that. Yay. <laughs> no, but I love them. They're great. You know, you say what others won't say, right?
0: Yeah, that's definitely what I try to, and I really want to, I really want to just make like a whole set, a whole comedy set on just this topic alone, Mm -hmm. after I'll eventually get there. Um, But I too get like um, messages from people, like, how can I get the vibrator to Wiki without people knowing? (laughs) (laughs) yeah and I like to recommend like different shops or other things to read mm -hmm. yeah Um, and I think that's
2: it right it's just like how do we decolonize sexuality how do we start talking about sexuality in our families in our communities and how do we make it not such a taboo subject right yeah
1: I mean I think those of us who have kids start with our kids right and it's funny you know my daughter is 18 now Um, and I told her, I was, uh, I told her when she was like 12 or 11 that I was doing non-monogamy and I explained it to her because she was coming to stay with me for the summer. And I told her dad first, uh, because I wanted to check with him and, you know, I was dating two people in Austin at the time. And I said, you know, I won't introduce her to them if you're not comfortable with her knowing about this or, you know, and I said, and he said, uh, I trust you. Um, you know, I trust you to that, that they would be okay people for her to be around. And I said, do you want to meet them? And he said, no, (laughs) but I trust you. And then I told Carmen and she had a really hard time, you know, part of it was her dad and I just split up in the last couple of years. And that was, that was in and of itself hard enough, even though we were very amicable and we visited each other all the time, it was the most amicable, amicable possible divorce you could have. Um, but it was hard for her. And by the time she was 15, though, she told me, I didn't understand then mom, like I I didn't understand but but I do think a lot of that was that breakup. I've also read uh, polyamory books where people grew up in polyamory. uh, And they said it's just the most natural thing I don't understand this other way that people live right. So I think if you, you if you tell kids from the time they're very young, and they come to see it as natural, there are books out there on this and they see your different partners and your friendship networks coming through your house. Um, and these relationships being caring and consensual and healthy, you know, I've kids are fine, right? They'll take that to be normal. So I I think more than the polyamory, it was that abrupt shift in our lives that was hard for my daughter. But by the time she was 15, she said, you know, your polyamory mom, even though she said, I'm, I think I'm monogamous. That's what she said at the time. She said, it's taught me that I don't have to have one group of friends. Like I'm not going to be in clicks. I'm going to eat lunch with these kids this day these kids the next day. And she's really good about about moving between very different types of people. And so that was really nice for me to hear. Um, And she's very open-minded now about non-monogamy or monogamy. And in fact, I think she's come to the point where she's like, I don't really worry about the definitions. We'll see what happens, you know, which I really, really appreciate. And she's 18 now. So, but that, that part was hard, Um, you know, but I think, yeah, talking to little ones, um, as long as they feel safe and they feel cared for, you know, and they see that the relations around them are loving um, and consensual and and not violent, I think they're going to be okay. So, but it's, but it's hard. The other thing I was going to say too. So even I was raised in this really sex repressed culture, like many of us were, right? Like, I didn't even tell my mom when I got my period until there was nothing left in the house for me to use, you know, and I, and I had no money because I was 13. I was like, uh, I got to tell my mother, this is terrible. You know, (laughs) like what kind of childhood is that, that you don't think you can tell your mother that you're starting to menstruate, right? That's the kind of world I grew up in because it was some kind of shameful thing. I, I couldn't have put words to it, but I remember the feelings but my daughter is like, tells me everything. She'll tell me like, you know, basic things about her body and what's going on with complete. She has no shame. Uh, she'll talk about sex openly. I'm so touched by that. You know, like I listen to her, tell me things I never would have told my mom or my grandmothers. And, um, and even though it's hard for me, like she'll talk really openly to, to me about sex. I'm like, baby girl, give me a second. And she's like, mom, you're the critical polyamorous, really? I, I'm like, no, I want you to tell me about stuff. It's just you're my baby, you know. And she's like, Mom, come on, seriously. So I just tell her I'm having a hard time, but that's my own weird discomfort, repressed stuff. I'm so grateful that you are so unashamed and so open and comfortable with your body and everything that you're totally fine to tell me everything. I, lo- I'm sure she doesn't tell me everything, but she tells me a lot. <laughs> so. It's wonderful. Liz, you wanna
0: do the last question that we got?
2: Sure. So uh, your May 8th, 2020, TP confessions in Toronto, the Indigenous worldview was canceled last year due to the pandemic. Yeah. And so we can see that summer 2021 is going to feature TP confessions turned on
1: yeah it turned online <laughs> yeah yeah i was gonna so, say stephanie you have to come do tv confessions with us at some point yes. be, yeah yeah I
2: love
1: to. so yeah, can you so share
2: any details about that or any information
1: well the call's open for performances i can't remember what the deadline is does it say there and you the march 31st? 31st march 31st we'll probably extend that because that's next week right
0: yeah yeah
1: so uh we're gonna do that online with um Unfortunately for us, fortunately for her, our co-producer, uh, Tracy Bear, who's an assistant professor at University of Alberta is moving to McMaster. And we are, so we're gonna do uh, the TV confessions joint between her program at McMaster and, and us at U of A and as sort of an effort to extend our kin relations, right? And so we do do shows across Canada already. Uh, and I think because this will be online, this will really enable us to see how the virtual online show goes. But our, we do calls for performances and usually we do about four performances. If we did 12 to 15 minute performances, we would have four per show, two in each uh, part of the show um, um, and with an intermission in the middle, and we read anonymous audience confessions in between the performances. Sometimes, though, we do more than four performances, say if we have burlesque dancers, you know, their performances are much shorter than 12 minutes. So we may have a two or three burlesque dancers in a unit. And then, you know, we've had sexy storytellers, we have had comedians, we've had uh, like a rope demonstration uh, on stage, we've had skits, um, we've had a hula hoop, a really, Amazing young indigenous hula hooper from Edmonton. That was really cool. So we're really open about what our performances look like. So and then this will be the first time online, but our parent show, Bed Post Confessions in Austin, Texas, who who kind of contracted with us to use this template and indigenize it, has done an online show. So we have a sense of how that'll go. So we will pre-record performances. And, um, I'm not sure how we're going to work the confessions yet, but my co-producer, Kirsten Lindquist, who's a PhD student at U of A is really fantastic at the kind of online production. So we'll figure it all out. We still want to do confessions and everything like that. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be really fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Me too. But, yeah. So yeah, submit something, Stephanie, if you want to do a
0: yeah for sure. stand up.
1: it'd be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs>
0: Well, I think that's all the questions that, that we is okay. have. Um, we're, we're very, very happy that you were able to share some time with us today, Jimmy yeah. Um
1: You're welcome. Well, I look forward if you find any other Indigenous non-monogamous people who want to be open about it. I know they're out there, but not everybody's mm-hmm. as much of a blabbermouth as I am about their lives. <laughs> so i am yeah. really interested to know
0: it, they come out of in like natural conversations and it's like yeah they're like i you know it almost some of them are starting to be like I, it doesn't feel natural you yeah. know. and um and they're saying you know how did we live and we have these conversations mm-hmm. and about exploring it i'm and like and there's there's websites you can go to there's information yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, there's a lot out there on how to manage the interpersonal parts of your relationship, you know how to deal with the dynamics. What's not out there is how we can understand this in relationship to our own indigenous histories right. That's what's not there and I think that piece is really important, um, you know trying to figure out what the relationship wisdom of our ancestors was because I think there's a lot we can learn when you know people were thinking about living more in community and where you shared amongst community and that might also mean that you shared partners you know and in fact we know that that happened
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, and
1: also but the other thing is we don't always know if those marriages like all of all of those marriages might not have been sexual marriages you know, Mm -hmm. but they were about caretaking family or partners, right? So I think there's a lot for us to find out that where we can help move that can help us move away from these, these kinds of settler forms of relationships that are about property and control and censoring people's desires. You Mm -hmm. know, they're really anti relational, I think settler sexuality and, and family is um very based around property and control and so yeah I really want to figure out uh using how to use non-monogamy as a way to get away from those kinds of values too but in in so doing you know figuring out figuring out how to indigenize it what does that look like I don't know yet I'm still trying to figure that out
0: I'm I'm starting to figure out comedy on how to indigenize porn
1: (laughs) (laughs) good luck I good luck (laughs) Like I, was, I would be watching, very interested. One, one
0: talking about where I uh, go to a powwow, and um, I, I actually the first time I told this joke, I was in Wiki, and I was talking about how like I was desiring this one drummer, and uh, after he was done singing, him and I make eye contact, but instead of getting nervous, like I, I lean back a bit, and I hit the canopy pole, and instead of getting nervous, I just start going down the pole, (laughs) like a stripper. (laughs) And I said, and then with my lemonade, I just pour it all over myself. (laughs) And I'm like, and with my scone dog, and I just stopped because it's all family there. And I was like, all right, all right. (laughs) That's good enough for now. (laughs) They're like, I want to know what you did with the scone dog. (laughs) How did it look after all the aunties and moms? <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, some writing thank is you. happening. And yes, thank you so much. Um, You're welcome. Oh gosh. Yeah, This is exactly how we just wanted to just have like uh it's just like sitting around a table, sipping
1: coffee. My uncle actually made some soup. Oh nice. Yeah. So yeah, well, once you get to that, I was telling Rick Harp too. I was like, why don't we do video? That'd be kind of cool. I did the multi-amory podcast. Do you know that one? No, it's um yeah, it's called multi-amory and it's all on polyamory stuff. And it's uh three people, I think they might all be partners anyway. Um, but they did video and they do audio, and I really I liked it, although you know, I often record media indigenous you know, with no makeup on, just out of bed and my PJs on. So, like, <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's worth thinking about. I mean, if you, you know, to get your kind of kitchen table kind of.
0: Yes. 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 For well, sure. Well, good luck with it. Jimmy Gretch, thank
1: you. You're welcome. All Miquesh.
0: right. Well, nice to see you both. Soon. Okay.
1: You talk so soon. Bye sure bye. <laughs>
0: Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye, Mompe. Take care. Bye. Bye. We'll Talk to you soon. Bye.
2: Again, we want to say miigwech to Dr. Kim Tolbert for sharing with us today. And also want to send out shout outs and miigwech to Bryden Gwiskowenzi and Sacramento Knox for the music files. Join us next time on Anishna Babes. Naha Bama p Minwa Goabmin.